0: My guest is Ellen Meredith. She's an energy healer and medical intuitive, and she's the author of this wonderful new book, The Language the Body Speaks, Self-Healing with Energy Medicine. Welcome to the Magical Mystery Tour.
1: Thank you, Tony. I'm really happy
0: to be here. So reading this book has really inspired me to listen more deeply to my body and to check in with it about all sorts of little things. And I've always been pretty sensitive and intuitive, but that was mainly focused outwardly. And since reading this book, it's actually opened up in just the last few days. I'm developing a whole new relationship with my body and myself. And I'm, I'm kind of stunned how long it took to get there.
1: <laughs> oh, that just makes my heart to hear that. I'm so happy that that's the effect it had on you. Thank you for saying that.
0: Over 40 years ago, I studied Chinese energy healing, so uh-huh. I'm not a stranger to this concept at all, and I've actually uh-huh. also managed to avoid medical doctors for over 40 years as well.
1: <laughs> Mazel <ta.
0: laughs> So, to begin with, you know, not everybody has any kind of intimacy with energy medicine. What is energy medicine, and how is it different from Western medicine that most people are familiar with? Okay,
1: well, that's a great question. Um, The body has two communication systems. It communicates through chemistry, through chemical interactions, and then it communicates through energetic signaling and we're all familiar with energetic signaling. When we get an EKG, for example, they'll measure electrical activity in the brain or in the heart. So energy medicine is any healing modality that deals with the energy communication of the body. And most people will be familiar with acupuncture or acupressure, maybe yoga, tai chi, qigong. There's lots of different traditions that use the energy communications rather than the chemical communications. And Western medicine pretty much uses the chemical communication system, which is great. I mean, I'm I'm really happy they're doing that. But as a self-healer, that's not so good for me because I'm not a chemist and I'm not much of a scientist. So if I want to participate, if I want to heal myself, if I want to stay well, I'm better off to work with the energy medicine or the energy communications of the body.
0: So why would someone want to engage in self-healing as opposed to going to a quote-unquote expert, a medical doctor who supposedly knows how to do that for us?
1: Well, it's <laughs> we don't go to the dentist every day to get our teeth brushed. We learn to brush them ourselves because if you get food stuck in your teeth every single day, by the time you get to the dentist, your teeth are going to be rotten. And the same is true of our health. It's an ongoing dynamic that we can tweak, that we can adjust, that we can address. And if we put it off and only turn to experts to heal us when we're really, really sick, we've missed the opportunity to recognize that most symptoms and most defenses, most that happen with your body are communications from the body or the mind or the spirit. And when we can tune into these, when we can participate, healing isn't just about what's fixing what's wrong. It's about cultivating what's needed. And when we can shift that paradigm from first of all, I don't have a user's manual, so I have to go to an expert to tell me about my own body. You know, your comment about all your healing thoughts were focused outward. Well healing is about wholeness it's about bringing your energies and your body and your mind and your spirit to a kind of happy committee happy confluence so that we can live our lives and feel better and thrive so the reason we'd want to do self-healing work is not just to fix what's wrong but to cultivate what's needed and only we can know that And no doctor or expert really knows what's best because we're all individual we're all very very different
0: And Western medicine, they tend to use this notion of evidence-based medicine, which sounds good, but what are the inherent limitations of that?
1: Well, evidence comes from a lot of different places. And the only evidence you can use is something that someone got funded to do a study for and managed to carry out the study and get it peer-reviewed. And this isn't science-versus intuition it's a both and kind of situation where we can get evidence from our own sensations from our own experience from our own feelings and inside your body that evidence is going to be fairly persuasive and powerful so the problem with asking doctors more and more to only use evidence-based knowledge is it cuts off their intuition So they go through all these wonderful years of training to learn their craft, and then they're not really allowed to use the artistry that would enhance their craft and make it really truly a healing modality. So it's something that puts really good doctors in a bind, but it puts us as patients in a bind where a doctor is telling you, well, here's the evidence we have say, you know, they're recommending a treatment, but the study that said the treatment was good was done on people who were way younger than you living in different conditions. It's not really apropos to you, but that's the best they have because the economics of Western medicine are such that they can't afford to have evidence on everything they need evidence for.
0: So in effect, they end up with a sort of one size fits all approach.
1: Yeah, you've got it. You put your finger right on it. And, and that would be fine if we were generic. But first of all, energy isn't generic. It has flavors. It has, you know, the energies that feed me and sort of my soul juice. It's very different from the energies that feed you or nourish you. And so something that's going to enliven me and make me feel more whole and wonderful might get, to. I mean, you know, someone who loves routine would be very, very happy working at the post office every day for 40 years. And that would be a fulfilling activity for someone whose instrument doesn't do well with routine that would actually make them sick, have to do the same job every day for 40 years. So we really need to come to terms with who we are, not only what our physical instrument is, but what the music is that that instrument wants to play, the music of each individual soul. And so that's part of self-healing is, finding out who you are as a spirit, as a consciousness, and figuring out what your instrument is capable of. Because we don't want people trying to play Mozart on a kazoo when they could have a cello or a, or an instrument that could do justice to the music of their soul.
0: And another thing that I've been learning is that that changes from moment to moment what we need. Yeah. So even yeah. even if we have a sense of, overall what we need, it continually changes from day to day, from minute to minute, from hour to hour. And any kind of one size fits all thing is not going to accurately address what our needs actually are in each moment.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. So what happens is that if you've got rules, like you've got a diet plan, and you're going to eat the same foods, or you know, you've got your rules of what you're going to do, it misses the fact that we are we are a shifting, moving field of energies, and we do have different needs, and we have different seasons and different phases that we go through. So when we don't have a way to tune in and dialogue moment by moment or day by day with our own instrument, with our own being, we're just treating ourselves like cogs in a machine. And the machine doesn't like that, and it usually fights back with symptoms or obstruction or faltering in one way or another. So the one-size-fits-all solution comes from the notion that this is a machine, and we know how to deal with it, and here's the rules for running it. And if you shift that paradigm to this is a creation in process, this, you know, this mind-body-spirit thing that each of us is, is a creation in process that's ever-evolving, and it's not evolving even in one direction. It's expanding and contracting and, and just growing in glorious ways. So if we can see that, then we have to have a way to enter into dialogue with it. And then conversation or communication is a much better model than the kind of medical treatment plans that come up in a lot of traditions for how to deal with yourself.
0: Yeah. It's so easy to fall into that sense of self as being very static, and therefore we don't need to tune in to ourselves, into our body to listen to what's going on in this moment.
1: Yeah, it's a cultural, you know, we've sort of been indoctrinated to think that a body is a body is a body. We wouldn't do that to dogs. I mean, you you know, you go to a dog show, there's all different kinds of dogs. You go to the pound, there's even more different kinds of dogs. And you don't treat a little dog the same as a big dog necessarily. And so this notion that there's a fixed universe that can be measured with a prescription based on it, ignores the nature of change, the nature that we're a a moving, evolving being, and also it cuts off our opportunities to really express who and what we are, to make the contribution that is unique to each of us.
0: And also to fully be our natural and evolving self.
1: Absolutely. It's on all levels. It's not just a metaphor for, oh, you know, I like music and you like digging. You know, it goes way beyond that. Some bodies do well with broccoli and some bodies get sick from broccoli, not just because they're allergic, but every body relates to the physical world differently. So any prescription we might have for wellness or for healing, if it isn't derived from knowing what your instrument is and can do and needs, it isn't going to fit. It's just going to be, you know, you're going to have some reactions that you don't like because your body's going to say no no I don't like that but when we can communicate with our body it'll it'll just tell us it will say oh okay you don't want broccoli what do you want oh okay yeah that makes sense and of course in my book I talk about I teach you how to speak energy how to speak the language that your body speaks because it's usually not english or french or chinese it is a very multidimensional language it includes sound and light and shape and gesture and touch and direct knowing and perceiving a shift in circumstances and, you know, sort of all of our senses and all of our intuitive abilities go into forming this very multidimensional language that the body speaks. And we know how to do it. I mean, it's our first language. We just, you know, get it socialized out of us to pay any attention.
0: When you describe the language of the body, it sounds kind of intimidating to learn,
1: Well, you know, I don't think it is. I mean, for one thing, most of us speak it intuitively. So if you find, you know, something shocking, most people will put their hand over their mouth and they don't have to know consciously, oh, I'm shutting off an energy stream called penetrating flow that takes things very deep in my system. They just put their hand on their mouth. You know, when someone is feeling kind of yucky, put your hand up your forehead. That's a direct gesture of consolation and calming. We already have a large vocabulary of gestures, of sense language. Most people have feedback from their body that they intuitively respond to. And the trick in learning the language is just being conscious of what we already know and building on it. So in the book, I provide a kind of total immersion experience where I remind people of what they already know and give a lot of explorations for how you can play with it and build on it. It's way easier to learn than a foreign language because it's not foreign. It is our source code or our baseline language. So it is more a process of remembering or coming back home to how the body's communicating with us. It's not something out there. It's not like when your knee hurts, this means that. It's like when your knee hurts, you say, oh, honey, what's going on? Well, what can I do for you? Like if I handed you an infant who was screaming or traumatized, what would you do to try to calm that infant? It's that same process but continued even after we have the sort of grown-up mind, the conscious kind of socialized mind. We still need to get back to being able to interact with ourselves as a creature, as a dog, a cat, an infant, you know, someone who communicates, but it might not be through words.
0: Now, some people might say, well, you're an energy healer, you're a a medical intuitive, and you have these abilities that either you were born with or that you've developed. What about the rest of us who aren't necessarily particularly intuitive or that sensitive?
1: Well, I'll tell you. It's my belief that everybody has the equipment to speak the language their body speaks, you know, to speak energy, and that it doesn't take a special psychic gift or a special form of intuition. And where I have people start to open it up is through their senses. I mean, if you can see or hear or smell or taste or feel or know things with a little kind of momentary, oh, I just had an idea, you have the baseline to learn this language and to use it. And then it's like any language. We aren't born, you and I weren't born speaking English. We learned it because people were speaking it around us and we constructed our ability to join in. And that's how I teach the language of energy is having you kind of listen to all the things or tune into all the ways the language of energy is already speaking to you and then start constructing a vocabulary that's very unique to you that means something special.
0: Could you give us an example of that?
1: okay so for example we can look at young children who learn language and for example a young kid might say up up that's called a whole phrase in language studies and what it is it's not just the word up it doesn't mean that direction for a young child up means i want to get in my high chair and eat or i want to come up in your arms and be held or i want to be at face level with you as a bigger person so as a child learns this language, they develop these holophrases that mean a whole lot of things to them, even though it might be a single word. So, with the language of energy, for example, there was a woman who would get very upset. She was very sophisticated intellectually, but she'd have these freakouts. She'd have these sudden freakouts that she couldn't control. And it came from a time in her childhood where, you know, she was in a dysfunctional family and there were things she couldn't control and she'd have to go into high alert. And so she would be going to her life and she'd be out and about at meetings or at work and suddenly have these kind of freak out attacks. They go beyond anxiety to kind of high alert. And what she experimented with was what can I do in that moment to calm that creature? And she found that if she did some work with herself in private, she developed a couple gestures. And one of them was just gently stroking on her wrist and she just stroked there and it would quickly calm the freak out. And it's just a bit of energy code that she developed to talk to her body that she could use while she was out in the world that wasn't like a whole energy exercise. And I do give lots of energy exercises in the book as well. But this kind of private code, a personal code of baseline vocabulary is something that's different for each of us. For me, when I look at a certain color of purple-blue, a kind of periwinkle, it immediately brings me home to myself. It's just my home color. and. Other people have other things. If they look at a tree or they, they lean against the tree. They come home immediately. They calm. They center. So that's the process is finding those things that bring you home to yourself, that calm you, that center you, that puts you back into your zone, whatever your zone is.
0: So in order to do that, we really have to go inside and, and really pay attention.
1: Yeah, or experiment. I mean, you know, just notice, you know. If I say to you, okay, today, as you go out in the world, I want you to notice everything red, all the ways that the color red is used in your world, you're going to notice differently. You're going to see different things than you saw yesterday when you didn't have that invitation. So it is about going inward, but it's also about inviting your conscious mind to align itself with what's happening through sort of having instructions for how to pay attention.
0: And as you mentioned earlier, this this is actually what children go through, you know, to learn about the world around them and how to engage in it and how to communicate it and get their needs met.
1: Right, right. Learning language, whatever the language is, is about perceiving experience, having an experience, perceiving something, and then encoding it in some way, whether it's in an image, in an understanding, in a word, in a phrase. And that's the process we all go through when we learn language. And so learning the language of energy is no different. It's about having a perception and then training your mind to understand, well, what is that perception? What do I want to call it? What does it mean to me? And how can I use it? How can I use it in a sentence? You know?
0: mm-hmm. It seems to me that when we become adults, at a certain point, we, we tend to think that we've learned everything we need to have learned and that we already yeah. And I think that becomes a real obstacle, and, and we have a tendency to get lazy and also to resist change, to resist having to do more work in order to learn more in right. certain ways that we think we should already know.
1: Right, right. Well, that's why I believe, I, you know, I have a lot of sections in my book that I call play with it. I mean, it is Helpful to resuscitate your sense of play if you've gotten too serious as a grown up and you stopped playing. But I don't think it is work at all. I mean, is it work to sit around with your friends and say, okay, if you were a plant, what kind of plant would you be? You know, if you were a dog, what breed of dog would you be? Why? It's work to explore. And since life is always changing, it forces us to keep growing. If we don't, the body gets ill. The body comes up with illnesses that are wake-up calls that say, hey, pay attention here, stay home from work and rest, because I need to communicate with you, and I can't get through to you when you're going at, you know, 90 miles an hour. And, of course, now we're we're in this pandemic, so most of us are on an enforced pause. And that's Mother Nature saying, hey, everybody, slow down, because you're going to destroy me if you don't stop and revisit your both collective and individual behaviors and beliefs. And everything's up in the air right now. We're really being forced to change, being forced to grow, but we're also being invited to change and encouraged to grow. It's not, it shouldn't be dreary. It should also, I mean, unless you're actually sick in bed with the virus, you just have the pandemic. You don't have the virus. So why not use this as an opportunity to do the things you don't have energy or time to do when you're busy, you know, running your storyline, running your life.
0: Mm -hmm. And you offer so many exercises in the book and your practice tips. They are quite playful and they do invite engagement and, and I enjoyed them very much. And I feel like I've gotten a tremendous benefit from this whole engagement with your book.
1: Oh, Thank you. That's exactly what I want a reader to say. So thank you very much. Because, you know, I'm not one of those people who likes to give, you know, a seven point plan for how you're going to get perfect. And, you know, I don't mean that sounds very sarcastic. And I don't mean to disrespect people who have distilled their wisdom down into systems or plans, because those can be very helpful. I personally am not the type of person who does well with following a plan. I'm good for about three days, and then I'm deviating from it. (laughs) And I'm the same with recipes. I pull out a recipe, and I start to make something Italian. And, you know, maybe when I'm done, it's turned into something Mexican. It's just my personality. And so in the book, I really tried to just awaken people's natural motivations to try stuff or learn. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to even read it in order. I mean, it's designed so it could be a good read from beginning to end, but you can also just open it up anywhere, read a small section, and play with the tools or tips or thoughts that are there and see how they apply to your life that day. Hopefully, it'll speak to a lot of people because it is rooted not in some external theory, but an exploration of, well, who are we? How how does this thing work? I mean, growing up, I had a lot of challenges. I was kind of raised in a more mental state in my family. It was all about the brain and talk and thought. And so it took me a while to figure out, you know, where's the user's manual for this body? I don't get how it works. And I had a lot of illness and I had a lot of chronic illness. And some of it was stuff that doctors said, well, there's nothing medically wrong with you. And I'd say, yeah, but I've been over double in pain. So what can you do for me? And they'd say nothing. And that was very frustrating, but it pushed me to engage with my own body and my own instrument in new ways and to search for new tools and to find a way out of discomfort. So, you know, sometimes pain is a teacher for us, but sometimes uh, yearning or desire or enthusiasm is what pulls us forward. And, I, you know, I prefer the carrot to the stick myself.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're a medical intuitive. What does that mean, and how does it relate to how you've learned – to engage your own inner healing, you know, self healing and recognizing your own body language and energetic qualities?
1: Well, I didn't set out to be an intuitive. I was in the field of writing, creative writing, and I was always listening. And at one point, my inner guides made contact with me and said, we're going to train you, we're going to teach you various things. And then I went through this intensive training with them. And it awakened my intuition in ways that I wasn't expecting. But there it was. And I became more and more attuned to what other people's bodies were doing. And when I got ill, my Western doctor couldn't help me. She finally sent me to an alternative practitioner who could help me, who does something called applied kinesiology. It's rooted in Chinese medicine. It's a very lovely practice. And in that context I suddenly discovered that, hey, I could see what was going on inside my body in contrast to what my practitioner body was doing. So it woke up unexpectedly for me. It wasn't what I thought I was going to do when I grew up. And medical intuition just means using your intuition to feel into what's going on physically with someone or energetically with someone and understanding maybe how that relates to whatever medical conditions or health conditions they're having. And so when I healed myself or when I healed and worked with this chiropractor who did applied kinesiology, she asked me if I could come in and do some of the same stuff I was doing for myself with other people. And I didn't know. I said, I don't know. (laughs) So I I came in. There was a client who had a, a neck injury that wasn't healing. And I said, I'll give it a try. I don't know if I can see anything. And I went in and I looked at her energetically or I just, you know, using this new perception that was opening up for me. And I could tell that she had a hairline fracture in her neck. And I said, would it make a difference if there's a little hairline fracture here? And Chiropractor said, yes. (laughs) And so looked again at the x-ray and found it was very, very slight and was able to then address it. And that sort of started me off. The medical intuition is just about using your intuition to help others with healing and medical or health questions. But I think more important than that, I do channeled readings and I do intuition work. And my The center or focus of all my work is helping people hear their own guidance. People come to me for psychic channeled readings, they're called. And the goal in that is, sure, I help them get information, but I don't want them to keep being dependent on me for their information. It's always aimed at how can you hear your own truth better? Because I basically feel like we need to be able to take care of ourselves. And when I'm sick, I'm not as good at seeing what's wrong as I am with other people. I've had to learn a lot of tools to assess my own energies. I use something called energy testing that I learned from Donna Eden, and I use some other methods that I've developed that are in the book. It's always a little harder at first to perceive your own issues because they're obscured by pain or by blockage, you know, I don't want to know, or fear of change or other things. So... That's the root of the medical
0: intuitive thing. Mm-hmm. In the book, you write about us having three selves, the the elemental mm-hmm. earth self, the talking self, and the wiser self. And Those are names that, that you gave them. Could you describe what they are sure. and how they fit into this um, concept of energy medicine?
1: Sure. We can see ourselves as a spectrum of being. Like when we see colors. They're part of a spectrum of light. You know, so when we see a rainbow light that's been refracted through a crystal and separated into its component colors. So I take that same concept and say, well, if you just see yourself as one lump of thing, you miss the opportunity to kind of understand that the components might work a little differently. But if you see yourself as spanning a spectrum from very, very solid to more energetic, because, you know, physics tells us we're made of energy and it's really hard to imagine when you're, you know, poking that extra flesh on your arm thinking, well, if you're energy, why don't you just fly away? You know? So the three selves that I talk about in the book that I think are useful kind of stations on that spectrum are the earth elemental self. And that's your creature self, like a dog or a cat. It is your body, but it is your body consciousness. It's not just the physicality of you. It's the physicality, like the physicality of your dog or cat or an infant. So it has its own consciousness. And then the talking self is the part that makes the dramas, that creates identity, that says, this is me, this isn't me. I'm going to have this kind of work, and I'm going to have these kinds of friends. And here's the story, you know, when you talk to your friends, what's going on? Out comes talking self to tell the storyline of what's going on, mostly with talking self, although some mention, yeah, I've got a stomachache, you know, something happening with the earth elemental. But mostly talking self is the mind. And we have body, mind, spirit. I just use different terms because I think that it allows us to see them a little more clearly. And the body self is in the now. I mean, she just wants to know what's happening right now and what do I need right now? the talking self is all over the universe. I mean, it can go into the past, into the future, into imaginary space. And so she's designed to kind of travel in consciousness a little more. And then the third self is the wiser self or the source self, you could call it. And that's the part of us that I believe is sort of tuned into the divine or into the the collective consciousness. And it's the part that animates you. And you don't need to be very psychic or esoteric to see these three selves. Go look in a mirror. You're going to see your body standing there. And as you stand there going, oh, hi, Tonio, oh, how are you doing? You can see your personality self just kind of animating it. And then if you stand kind of quietly and you sort of tune into sort of a little bit of sense of sacred or, or what you really deeply believe in, you'll get a sense of, oh, but there is this drumbeat of my nature. That's my wiser self. You know, when I have that moment of gravity, of really sinking into who I am at my deepest truth, that's the wiser self. So we have these three selves, and sometimes they have very different agendas. You know, your talking self wants to go out to a party, and your earth elemental self wants to lay down and take a nap, and your wiser self wants you to do some artwork and expand your vocabulary for creative expression. And sometimes conflict, between these three aspects of ourselves that need to be worked on because otherwise the stress hits the body and creates illness or discomfort
0: so in learning the language of our body and the language of energy are we learning the language of all three of these selves and also learning how to distinguish them and and make it a kind of a coherent conversation of a sort
1: well, Ideally, it is. So I like to use the analogy of music, that if you have a beautiful piece of music, that's like the wiser self. You have to have an instrument to play that music on because you want to do justice to it. That's your that's your earth elemental self. And you have to, as a musician, develop that instrument because if you can't play the instrument, the music you're hearing in your head or in your heart isn't going to come out through the instrument. And so it's really. The process of accessing the source material, that music in us, developing the body as an instrument of expression and developing the mind or talking self as someone who can take the instrument or do justice to the instrument and to the music. And they all three feed each other. If you have crappy music then your instrument's not going to sound that great, even if it's a fine instrument. And if your instrument isn't working very well, if you're an oboe and you're full of phlegm, you can have the best musical score or the most skilled musician, and it's going to sound like an instrument that's filled with phlegm, right? So we really need to be able to work with all three dimensions of ourselves to have a life that's expressive of our potential and that keeps us healthy and well. And most, all of us, on some level, it's built into us to try to thrive, to try to express our truth, to try to grow and evolve and be truest to who we are. Some of us have been socialized into some very painful contortions away from that truth, but that truth pushes at most people throughout their lifetimes to get home to yourself.
0: So again, in engaging with all the different elements or, or the whole spectrum of our being, that's part of the language that we need to learn? Yeah,
1: it's where the language resides. And, you know, it's, it's different parts of how energy expresses itself. I mean, energy forms the body, it fuels us, and it also organizes how the body operates. So, you know, energy sort of does a triage and decides which organ is going to be fed now or what's going to get the most energy. And so we need to be able to work with those dimensions of, how can we work with the form so that it has the best support possible? How can we work with cultivating the correct fuel? You know if, if you're powered by wind, then putting gasoline in your base isn't going to do anything for you. You know we really have to find the fuel that works with our kind of instrument and so again, it's that form fuel organized, and the organized is if our energies are disorganized, disconnected, for example, if we 're not grounded our instruments you know don't function very well so yeah it's learning to work with all of those things but you don't have to do it all at once in any given moment you can say what's needed in this moment and usually you can come up with one thing in that moment that transforms the moment and I know your listeners will have had this experience where they're sitting around at home and they feel absolutely terrible and they say am I getting sick I feel horrible and the phone rings and it's an old friend and by the end of that conversation, you're in a very different place. You don't feel crappy anymore. You're ready to go out and you've got a new idea or you have got inspired by that experience.
0: So let's say we are feeling sick and perhaps we're even concerned that maybe there's something serious going on, uh-huh. something that we're not familiar with. You know, right. we're experiencing a, a new symptom or new set of symptoms and it scares us. How would you approach that?
1: tune into it, and speak some energy to it. So, for example, you might put your hands in that place where you have the symptom, and you might say, what color is it, and tune in. What color comes to mind for that, and what color does it want or need to be? And then using your breath, you can move from the color it is to the color it needs to be. That moves energies. Or you could tap a rhythm. Say, what rhythm does this place on my body need? And, in fact, people could try it right now if if you want to do that. I know it's radio, but let your hand go somewhere on your body it wants to go. It doesn't have to be pain. It could just be somewhere it wants to go. And then with your other hand, just gently, maybe on another body part or on the table near you, tap a rhythm. Just intuitively, it wants to have or you feel like tapping. And my hand went to my solar plexus, my stomach area which tends to be a little tight lately, I've just noticed, and the rhythm is kind of like a slow, steady march, and I didn't think it, I didn't think, oh, what rhythm should I apply, it's just my hand started tapping a rhythm, and you can change it, if if the rhythm doesn't feel right, does it need to go faster or slower, and what happened as I started to tap, is it organized the energy that was clenched in my gut, or in my solar plexus, and it Started to calm it down. Energy moves very easily, very quickly. It's very responsive to dialogue, to interaction. But don't shout at it if I said, what's wrong with you? When we focus on what's wrong, when we keep asking, and this is Western medicine and it's how do we fix it? So you could go to the doctor, find out what's wrong, get a diagnosis and get a treatment. Usually the treatments are as harsh as the symptoms because the symptoms are communication And most medicines don't address the communication, they just address the symptom. And, you know, if you're really concerned, do that. If you think you might be having appendicitis, get it checked out because it's important to be responsible. But that doesn't close out the option to also communicate with your body and see what you can provide in the moment. And all symptoms are a communication from the body. When they're really strong symptoms, it means that the body's been communicating a while and you didn't get it. It came as twinges first or it came as just thoughts or inclinations or, you know, very, very, very gentle, quiet signals. And if we miss those signals, they get louder and louder until they snowball into illness and a named condition. You know, it's like someone who has a stiff. If you think about a cyst, it's just like a blister only on the inside of your body. It means there's been a chronic irritation over time that's created a blister inside. And if you can look at what's that irritation and how do I resolve it so that it stops irritating in that part of my body, a cyst will heal right up, even though it can be a very serious, you know, you don't want to have that diagnosis, but things are healable if you understand the communication within them. But you don't have to go to diagnosis of what's wrong. You just skip that whole thing of, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. Well, you don't know what's right either. So start looking for what's right because with energy, what you put your attention on, that's what gets fueled. It's true with kids too. You know, it's the kid who acts out that gets the most attention. That's what gets fueled. But sort of focus on what's needed for this buy then it really shifts the energy quite quickly. And, I mean, I've seen, you know, really miracles where tumors have disappeared and lots of things have happened that are quite miraculous. And I don't recommend you do that instead of allopathic medicine because we live in a belief system that's full of Western medicine. But it's a both and. Don't abandon yourself and wait for the experts to figure you out. Let the experts do their thing if you think it's necessary. But do your thing in the meantime, and maybe you won't need to have the expert treatment or even their diagnosis. I mean, maybe it just goes away because the message has been
0: received. You just mentioned something that I've always been concerned about, and that is societal notions about reality and the way things work, you know, the the culturally dominant model of things. And how does that work? in relation to this concept of energy medicine and energy healing? And how can we best work with, you know, understanding how that rules the way we relate to the world around us, including this notion of energy healing and self-healing?
1: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we live in a culture that has a lot of prejudices against self-healing energy work, at Et There's a lot of historical reasons for it. I mean there were a lot of witch hunts and people killed for having intuition or, or using herbs in the history of lots of other forms of healing that rose up like homeopathy and and other things that got really kind of politically closed out by the allopathic folks and you know you could make your own judgments about how valid that was but we have to be aware that if we live, in a context where there's groupthink, where people tell you over and over, you can't help yourself, you can't know yourself, you have to turn to science, only science can know you. And this isn't anti-science, by the way, I don't want to sound anti-science. But if that's the only way you have to communicate with your body, it's not, in my view, the best way. And, you know, if you're reading a Shakespeare sonnet, someone probably wouldn't say, well, Can you do a scientific analysis? I mean, has science proven that that sonnet is a good sonnet? We have other ways of knowing. And if we can activate those without it having to be either or, I mean, sometimes we have to say, well, Western medicine gave up on me. They told me to go home and die. They don't know what to do for me. You know, I've I've had clients like that who came to me and said, well, now I'm going to do energy healing because Western medicine said they can't help me. Well, that's a bit of a liberation. Because now you're freed to try things outside the box. So we do have to fight against other people's beliefs. If you've ever explored alternative medicine, you probably have relatives who say, oh, you're going to a quack, or why are you wasting your money on that stuff? You know, supplement scam is stupid, or, you know, things that you know intuitively, well, maybe that's not true. I mean, I don't think nutrition is stupid. I think it makes sense to pay attention to the fuel we put in our body and yet it's something that our society in Western medicine doesn't even study. I mean, you know, they don't study nutrition in med school more than an hour or two in most med schools. So whenever we choose to do something that isn't what we're trained to do in school, we're going to run up against some resistance, either in ourselves, you know, sort of internalized stuff, or in other people. But at this time, we're being asked to break apart Those false beliefs, the racism, the sexism, the classism, you know, all the isms that say this means this and this means that and, you know, assigns value in very inequitable ways. That's breaking apart right now. It's a very creative thing, I think. And it's very chaotic, but it's pushing all of us to say, well, what is my truth and what are the beliefs that I do want to use in taking care of my mind, body and spirit? So, we're forced into it, whether we want to or not, and things are opening up a lot with energy medicine. There's a whole lot more interest and attention being paid to it right now
0: and that very much follows the pattern of the way energy flows and gets blocked as well,
1: yeah, yeah, and you know energy blockage is painful, energy flow, if it's a healthy flow, it'll feel good. We could talk about energy, and it sounds like the thing out there you have to learn. Most of us have a good understanding of what energy is and isn't. And most of us want to have better energy. You know, you meet someone and you go, ooh, what a creep. That guy's got creepy energy. Or you meet someone else and say, oh, my God, I don't even know who she is. I love her energy. I can feel it in her. I can see it in her. So all of us perceive energy all the time. And we even have it in our vocabulary It's about recognizing that it's something we can actually work with and we can transform. We can use it as a tool and as an instrument and as an art form.
0: And there's no one size fits all kind of scientific way of measuring that experience.
1: No, because energy isn't like, you know, in science, energy sort of gets reduced down to electrons and protons and, you know, it gets sort of distilled down to to something that's very neutral. But the energy of the body and the energy that the body, mind, and spirit speaks is actually the energy of consciousness. And so it's not just about molecules and protons and electrons. You know, the energy in a table isn't differentiated from the energy in the body. But I don't believe that's true. I actually believe that the subtle energies form and fuel and organize the body are consciousness, are the life force itself. And so they have meaning. They have flavors to them, if you will. And, you know, if your energy is chocolate and my energy is raspberry, we need different recipes for how we live our lives. And so in working with energy, we need to both acknowledge that we know a lot about it, but also see it as meaning or consciousness. And then it becomes writing the poem that is your life, writing the story that is your truth rather than distilling yourself down to some kind of generic essence. It is not one-size-fits-all. We are not generic in any way. No two people are alike. We all know that because, you know, how many people do you know and which two are identical? Even identical twins aren't really identical as beings. Their energies can be very different. And so that's the stuff I'm talking about is that which animates us that makes us alive. And how do we work with that for better wellness, health, you know, to heal something that's wrong, but even more to cultivate what's needed and what would be right for us, for each of us individually.
0: Mm -hmm. You say that it is the principles of nature that guide our ability to heal. What do you mean by that? And what are these principles of nature that can help guide our ability to heal ourselves and to work with With these energies?
1: Yeah, in the book, I sort of say it's nature that provides the grammar for the language of energy. And what I mean by that, the grammar is the organizing force. It's the rules of how you put the words together or the phrases together to convey meaning. And we are creatures of nature. We're part of what I call the ecology of life forms. And when we forget we're part of nature, it's not pretty. You know, we have seasons. We have dark and light, night and day. You know, we we really follow lots of the patterns that you find in nature. And so if you don't believe that you have, you know, rest and action, rest and activity, and you you don't rest, then you get sick if you're too active. Or if you rest all the time and you're not active enough, you get sick. Because in nature, we're meant to have the building up time and the breaking down time. And when you look at these principles in nature that things go through phases, if you don't understand that your body and your mind and your spirit go through these cycles, then most of the time you feel like a failure. If you're waning, you think, oh, I'm losing my my mojo. Or if you're waxing, you say, well, it's not good enough. I'm not fully there yet. And in the dark of the moon, you can get to very strong despair if you think that's an always. But if you understand that we are aligned with time and space Space and we are aligned with all these larger rhythms, some of us more than others. I mean, many of us live with artificial light and we don't know. We've lost our circadian rhythms and we have to take pills to sleep or, you know, go to special lengths to just do natural processes. And within that, nature's made up of building blocks. There's different elements. And many, many different healing, energy healing traditions in particular use five elements. Some of them have six to talk about what are the elements of nature. So there's water. And in Chinese medicine, there's wood, which is kind of the growth factor, you know, what makes plants grow and unfurl. There's fire, there's earth, and metal or air. And in some traditions, metal and air are the same thing. And in others, there's actually six traditions and metal being structure or form or organization, that which holds the building up. And You know, I think it's wonderful to explore some of these different traditions. And in the book, I talk about the five elements and how getting those five elements balanced with your body actually can heal a lot of illness. In Chinese medicine, each organ is linked and each meridian of energy is linked to a different element, one of the five elements. So in the book, I give some guidance on how to work with the elements of nature and to work with that grammar.
0: And you also talk about how the elements flow in a a cycle.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And Chinese medicine, uh, five element theory is 5,000 years old. It's pretty time-tested. And there is a whole treatment form of acupuncture that's been proven very, very effective in a lot of different situations. And there's a whole herbal medicine that goes along with it. And so you know, when I talk about five element theory in the book, I do relate it a lot to the Chinese medicine model. But in my book, I try to go beneath particular modalities. What's the source code below it? Because Western traditions also use five elements. Aboriginal traditions use the elements as well. So the flow pattern is that that throughout the day, energy moves from one element to the next. And certain elements are stronger at different times of day etc. And I give some information about that. And then I give some links to some some further reading if you want to explore it further, because it is my goal to always get the reader of my book to tune into what cycles does your body have? What expressions of elements do you have? We all have all five elements. So what's your water like? Is it a little trickle? Or is it a raging river? what is your wood and growth factor like? Is it a little sprout (laughs) or is it a mighty oak or something in between? Is it really insistent? Will it break cement to get to the sun or will it actually go sideways till it can find some sunlight? How does your element of wood operate in your life? What does your fire look like? Is it light or is it heat for one thing? And is it jumping around or is it contained fire and have control over it or does it tend to burn everything down every once in a while and do kind of a a clear a clearing for you and you know what is your earth and what is your metal so i do take readers through explorations of the elements and i do have a actually a, a meditation or explored visualization in the book on the five elements to just again come to terms not with what some book says they are what they are for you, how they play out in your understanding of how you are constructed.
0: And now I'd like to talk about probably my favorite section of the book where you give examples of six basic healing conversations that we can have with ourselves. Uh huh.
1: Thank you for having excellent taste. Somebody asked me recently what was my favorite part of the book, and I said the six conversations. <laughs> So thank you about that. What I wanted to do was I didn't want it to just be a language guide. I didn't want to just be, you know, here's how you build vocabulary and all of that. And I wanted to say, well, once you do speak some energy, how can you take it into some healing conversations? Because mostly when we have a problem that we notice, it's not a one-on-one like this is off balance, I can fix it. It's a more rounded, multidimensional issue that we can explore. And one of the concepts that I present in the book is that we construct ourselves. We are not just ready-made, empty jugs that society comes and fills. We actually, as we grow, as we develop, and I do compare this to child development throughout the book, we construct our understanding of the world. We construct our relationship to meaning. We construct our life storyline. You know, we write our own story. We're very active in how we form our experience, and we're also influenced by other people's influencing us. So, looking at how do you construct a self, there's certain issues that we can really fruitfully work with that are gonna have a big influence on healing. And can I go through the six or?
0: I would love for you to do that. And I think you begin by talking about our gatekeeper. And you say that we would do well to befriend and learn to work with our gatekeeper.
1: Right. A gatekeeper is basically the immune system, the physical, emotional, energetic, and spiritual immune system. It keeps the gates of self. It says, this can come in, and this needs to stay out. This is me. This is not me. It's the identity keeper. It's the boundary keeper. And it literally runs the physical immune system, but in larger sense, the gatekeeper keeps us informed. We sort of come into this body and there's two big forces. There's the radiance, which is the spirit, and there's the form, which is the gatekeeping. So the gatekeeper's job is to keep you informed. It doesn't even care if you're happy. It wants you to stay alive. And so a lot of times your immune system is producing miserable symptoms and you're thinking, whoa, Why are you torturing me? A little piece of dust went up my nose and now I can't breathe. And it's because its job is to say what belongs here and what doesn't. What is an enemy and what is a friend? And so if we want to have stronger form and stronger gatekeeping, meaning not what keeps things out, but what makes better decisions of what can come in and what needs to be expelled, then we can use energy medicine to strengthen the gatekeeper and in this time of pandemic, that's really, really fruitful work. The, the more you have a good relationship with your gatekeeper, the more capable your gatekeeper is of seeing a virus come in and say, oh, no, that doesn't belong here. That's not part of me. And just wipe it out. It's got it's got the tools to do that. The problem with the present COVID-19 virus is most people's gatekeepers don't recognize it as an invader and they let it in and it starts working and sort of hijacking the ship before the gatekeeper realizes, oh, that's false code, that's not really part of me. There's plenty of people who are getting the virus and not having symptoms. Those are people whose gatekeepers say, oh, yeah, okay, I'll build some antibodies to you, but I'm not going to let you take over the ship. I'm going to keep you sort of sequestered so you can fruitfully create some antibodies, but then you're going to move on. You're not going to influence how the body operates. And so those people who are able to do that, have stronger gatekeepers for whatever reason. So in the book, I talk about how this gatekeeping and identity building works and how it works to set up energetic boundaries and filters and what you can do to strengthen that or build a good relationship with it. So that's the first set of conversations. And I present them as conversations because, again, it's not like push this button, you get this result. It is about a dialogue. And you know from conversation with someone you can say the same sentence to six people and get six different reactions. So it requires our ability to converse intelligently, to work with all of the body's energy, because it's not cookie cutter. It's not push the button, you get the result, take the drug, you get the result. It is more creative and dynamic than that. But then so is conversation. And most of us, like having friends. We like to talk. We like to have exchange with our world. And so it builds that ability, which most of us have, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So working with our gatekeeper is really an evolving process.
1: Always, always. And we're always evolving the gatekeeper. You know, Donna Eden says we did not evolve to live in the world we're in right now. I mean, a hundred years ago, Our gatekeeper didn't need to deal with all the chemicals in our water and food. The gatekeepers didn't need to have all the storylines. I mean, we didn't have, you know, nowadays we have news feeds and movies and little things on YouTube and, you know, various stories coming into us influencing our bodies. We didn't have that 100 years ago. 100 years ago, there might be one story going each day, like what's happening in my family and neighborhood or what's happening in my mind. And so we can't avoid all the things that challenge us today, we have to do is evolve our gatekeepers to handle more exchange with the world, more, you know, I don't want to call them invaders, more, more influences, and to recognize more intelligently what's a positive influence and what's going to disrupt my functioning. So working with the gatekeeper, befriending it, is an ongoing lifelong task of evolving the instrument to meet the world it meets while also working to change the world if there's things. I mean, you know, I don't think we just have to take air pollution lying down. I think we can work to change that. But in the meantime, we also have to evolve our bodies to handle it so that we're not sick all the time.
0: And we also have to work with the gatekeeper so that it doesn't block out things that we may come to recognize as being beneficial to us that perhaps weren't beneficial or perhaps were, were scary and in even harmful in the past.
1: Right, right. And the gatekeeper sets up what I call little templates of experience. So when you have an experience that's difficult, like when you're three years old, I I give the example in the book that, you know, if your babysitter picks you up and swings you around and throws you in the air and thinks, oh, this is fun. And you're screaming, I'm going to die. No, no. And it's really scared. That sets up a template That every time you meet someone who smells or looks like your babysitter or maybe every time your parents leave the house, there's something scary going to happen. It sets up uh, kind of instructions for your autopilot. And about 95% of what we do in life is autopilot. We have to have that autopilot because if every experience you have to learn anew, we wouldn't get anywhere. I mean, once you've learned how to ride a bike, you don't have to relearn it every time you get on the bike. You have a template that says... When you get on a bike, move your muscles like this, adjust your balance like this. This is a fun thing if it was a fun experience for you, or this is a scary thing if it was a scary experience. The template holds the instructions to the autopilot that's running the body right then on how to manage the situation. And what happens with blockage or old memories or trauma that gets stuck in the body is some of those templates just get stockpiled and they don't get cleared. They're designed to be temporary instructions, but when they get stored in the body as permanent instructions, you know, you go to meet somebody that you think you're going to like, and she looks like that babysitter, or she smells like your babysitter, and you're already having a panic attack that has nothing to do with the person you're meeting. And so a lot of the work of clearing reactivity or clearing blockage is about retraining the gatekeeper. It's a very plastic mechanism. It it really can learn. It can change. But you have to know that you're dealing with templates and that they need to be cleared out. And I do give an exercise or an activity for doing that in the book as well because I just think that's an important tool to have.
0: Yeah, that seems to be one of the the key elements in all of this. And the, the second conversation is about having to do with what you call grounding, rooting, and anchoring. Yes. So I'd love for you to talk about them and how they relate to our well-being and how they manifest in our lives.
1: Okay, okay. So we are not freestanding units. We kind of look like it because we walk around and you don't really see the cords that connect us to the earth or to the sky or to the other people around. But we are really enmeshed in energetic exchanges of all sorts. And when we get Unmoored or untethered from those connectors, we falter. Just like you know, if your vacuum cleaner is plugged into the wall, it works really well. And if it comes partly unplugged, it, it falters. It doesn't work very well. So grounding, rooting, and anchoring are three parts of this connection that needs to happen so that we can be fed and nourished. And most people just use the term grounding to mean connected just to the earth. And I. Expect on that because, first of all, if you think of a grounding wire, it's not a feed, it's what wicks excess energy off. A grounding wire actually takes the extra energy out of the body and returns it to the earth. So I talk about how can we set up grounding to wick off the energy we don't need. Rooting is the word I use for what plants do to bring nourishment up from the earth. And, you know, a plant that isn't getting nourished by the earth will grow air roots or water roots become hydroponic. We're like that. We can get rooted or nourished or fed from a lot of different dimensions, and if we're conscious of what roots us in life, we have a better chance of being nourished. And then anchoring is, you know, what we do with a boat, right? A boat that does not have an anchor down will float. It'll just float aimlessly around the ocean, And yet, if we want to sort of stay in a general area for a while, we have to have something that anchors us. And in human terms, anchoring is usually either other people, you know, we're anchored in our family or important people, we're anchored in our everyday rituals, you know, what we do, you know, if I get up in the morning and I have a cup of coffee and I read the paper or whatever I do as my morning ritual, that anchors me. And most know that if you don't do your rituals, you can feel really kind of, adrift during the day. You can say, whoa, I, I didn't start my day right. I didn't, I'm not anchored. And so I give language to those three dimensions of what most people just all mush together as grounding. And just, again, energy medicine for how that feeds the instrument. And one thing I would say is that if you're not grounded, it triggers your gatekeeper and you spend most of your time in reactivity and your immune system is going to be overreactive. So people who have a lot of inflammation they might think, oh, I've got to reduce inflammation. Probably they're not properly grounded, rooted, and anchored. And their gatekeeper is out of control. So those are two realms to work on if you've got a lot of inflammation in the body or in your emotions. Mm
0: -hmm. And the third basic healing conversation has to do with interconnection and creating and maintaining coherence in our lives. What, what What is that about? And and also how that relates to our narrative storylines and, okay. and how so, those affect us and, okay. and our sense of coherence.
1: Yeah, yeah, good question. So interconnection is just the fact that Things are circuits within us. We have circuits. Energy isn't just a, again, isn't a freestanding thing. Your heart and lungs work together. Your stomach and gut and spleen and liver all work together. You know, there's different systems of connection. And the energies of the body all form big circuits, like the meridians all flow in a very large circuit together. So often what happens when something's wrong is we test the organ. We say, what's wrong with the organ? And all the organs test fine or our our numbers test fine, and the issue isn't in the organs, it's in what connects them. What is the communication between the moving parts? And not only are they connected, but are they moving in a good rhythm or in a good pattern, in coherence? And emotionally, that's true as well. If you have five different friends who have five different storylines, like they're really different, and you don't share a world where all the parts come together, it's a little hard to feel coherence. It's nice to kind of have a group of friends where you all share values or you all share outlook or you all share goals, and you can kind of compare storylines and progress. And so having coherence also comes up where people are one person at work and you're another person at home and you're another person in your neighborhood. And if those people are very, very different, it's hard to maintain a good healthy sense of self, we tend to yearn for coherence because that promotes health. So there's a lot of energy work you can do to support that conversation in your life.
0: Plus, it feels good.
1: Plus, it feels good. And all energy work, that's the great thing. It feels good. When you get something that you've got the right thing, it feels great. It really shifts you into feeling good. That's the signal that, wow, something's working energetically right now.
0: Mm -hmm. It's like The whole system makes sense. It feels right. Yes.
1: Yes. And we're people who need to make sense out of our experience. And it drives us crazy if we can't make sense out of an experience. So that's that conversation about what are the connections and what brings them together.
0: Mm -hmm. And the fourth healing conversation is about how we live in context so talk about yeah. our relationship with the world around us and how we respond and maintain our sense of coherence in relation to the world and everything around us, especially in times like this.
1: Oh, especially in times like this, yeah. I call this conversation exchange between self and world. Again, we're not freestanding units. Our energies are interspersed with other people's energies all the time. And- A lot of us haven't been in crowds recently, but when you're in a crowd, you have to know what's me and what's not me, even though other people's energies are penetrating and interspersing with your energy. And because we are fed by our exchange with the world, I mean, once we cut the uh, umbilical cord from mom and then, you know, we tie off our little belly button, we're meant to get nourishment from many sources, from our nutrition, from taking air in and from our exchanges with the world, from love exchanges and, you know, the dynamics of being a person in the world and even our interactions with nature and with physical world. So we are very influenced by that. We're designed to be influenced by the world. And we're also designed to hold our own as a self. And that exchange can be very uncomfortable at times for all of us. You know, I know very few people who hold their equanimity when there's a crisis going on in someone else around them or when you've got the radio on all day spewing toxic thoughts. What does that do to your own energy field? How does it poison your well or how does it feed you? And so it's a whole process, a whole conversation of what feeds you, what nourishes you, what poisons you, what Put you on your path, what knocks you off your path energetically. And how do we work with that other than just avoiding influence? You know, right now, a lot of us are sheltering in place, kind of avoiding too much influence. And it's a wonderful time to reset the instrument. But we're going to have to go back out in the world in exchange and figure out what is enough. Because it just got to be such an acceleration of too much stimulation And, you know, especially in the Western culture, people are getting sicker and sicker, partly from overstimulation, just too much input, not enough clearing, and it just breaks down the system. And we don't have time to rebuild at night so that we can handle more breakdown of energies coming into our field, influencing us, and transforming what we don't want to have transformed. Okay, so thats I'll stop there because of time, but you can go... On and on with that conversation, it's a big one.
0: Mm -hmm. And that leads us into the fifth conversation, which is about resetting our energy flow.
1: Yes. And we are not at the mercy of what our energies are doing. We can reset it. Just like if you're feeling tired, you can do a few exercises, calisthenics, and build up some more energy. You know, we have ways to shift how our energies work, and they need to flow they work together. Donna Eden, in her book, Energy Medicine, outlines a beautiful energy anatomy of nine energy systems in her modality. So I, I do refer to her from time to time because I, I love her work. And she's got a lot of exercises that reset energy flow. And I've offered some in the book, including an energy, a daily energy routine at the end of my book. But we have things we can do to reset our energies. If you feel sad, you're not at the mercy of that sadness. You can reset the energies that are causing that emotion. If you feel sick, you're not at the mercy of that illness. You can work with your energies to bring yourself to a different place. And there are patterns to the flow that you can work with.
0: And before we get to the sixth and final energy conversation, I want to bring up something that occurred to me. I've noticed that often when I feel out of balance, I have a tendency to go straight for a fix
1: Uh
0: without really going inside to listen to what's really going on. So my question is, how can we avoid turning this energy medicine approach to self-healing into another scripted wellness program?
1: Yeah, I love that question. And I really wrote the book to not make it something you could use that way (laughs) because that is the western brainwashing what's wrong how do we fix it and sometimes what's wrong is a very creative thing that takes us to a new place and we don't want to fix it we want to travel through it and get to the other side so the quick fix getting rid of the message begs the question of what's that message saying to us what's our body trying to communicate and sometimes you know if you've got pain There are things you can do to bring the pain level down so you can go inside and say, hey, what are you screaming about? You know, if you've got a kid screaming at you, maybe you want to calm her down before you figure out whether she has a dirty diaper or, you know, what's going on with her. That's not cheating. But ultimately, if you just calm her down and you don't address the dirty diaper, she's going to start screaming again. And that's what happens with our energies: that if we don't really address what the body's saying to us, it comes back. And that's what happens in Western medicine. And you'll see this with people who, you know, for example, a lot of women who have breast cancer, they go through the Western treatment. They don't do any of the work to find out what their body needed, what they needed to be cultivating to be truly well. And so what happens is a couple of years down the line, then they get thyroid cancer. It's a very common pattern or another secondary cancer or the breast cancer comes back. The reason these things are considered chronic is because the treatment doesn't really address what they're saying, what they're communicating. So all I can say is, you know, as you read the book, hopefully you're learning to see the whole process of working with your body, not as what's wrong, how do I fix it, but here's this amazing instrument, and how can I be part of the conversation that's going on between my body, mind, and spirit? Always.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you addressed that, because that is a very prevalent pattern in our culture.
1: And it creates chronic illness.
0: Right, right. It prevents us from addressing the cause.
1: Right, right. And you get someone who comes to you and says, here's the 12 illnesses I've had over the last 20 years, and I don't know what I can do. I'm sick. I'm tired. I hate my job. I hate my life. And what's going on? And the answer is you're sick, you're tired, you hate your job, you hate your life. You just told me what's going on. Uh And instead of changing or addressing those things, you've just addressed one set of symptoms after another after another until you reach a point where you can't anymore. And then sometimes maybe you're willing to consider a different job or, you know, make the changes in your life that are needed to allow you to thrive again. And so often we do even know what's wrong or we have the answers. We tell the answers to the practitioner and the practitioner doesn't pick up and say, well, okay, you just told me what it is. Let's look at what your options are day by day, moment by moment to address this creatively. And so that's the issue is that Western medicine is not geared towards really responding to a communication. It doesn't see illness as a communication. It sees it as a failure of a machine. And that it's a very mechanistic fix to get the machine running again, so it can keep making the same mistakes that made it sick. And I think we just can do better by ourselves. And we can always do better by ourselves than other people can do for us, because we're the ones who internally have that sense of who I am and what's needed. I mean, sometimes it's covered a little, it's been paved over, but it is inside all of us. And it's not one right answer. You don't have to go in and say, okay, what's my truth now? It's like, in this moment, what would be helpful? And then take what's given. You might say, everybody can do this too if you're not driving. Shut your eyes and find you know, one place that feels tight or feels uncomfortable and say, in this moment, what could be helpful? And then open your eyes and look around and open your mind and kind of scan, what's one thing your attention's drawn to? I did this, and I have a little kind of tightness in my side. I looked up, I see this leaping salmon. Just I have a, a little carving on my wall of a leaping salmon. I can play with that. I can unpack what's the meaning of that thing that my mind drew my attention to as a response to the question, what would be helpful in this moment? We can begin to really learn from dialogue that it's okay to not know and to then figure out by unpacking the meaning of where we're guided. There is an internal guidance system and this activates it just by asking over and over, well, what could be helpful in this moment? You know, and, and sometimes it is something as silly as just looking at a color you really love or looking at a, a bunch of flowers you got on your table and thinking, you know, it's, well, how beautiful, how beautiful. And in that moment, you're living beauty, not pain, not ugliness, not failure, not storyline. You're just living a moment of beauty. And that literally feeds the energies that run the body, that feeds the yin energies that run the body. So we have... All kinds of things we can do each moment to bring in wellness, to heal ourselves, to address stuff. If we're not trying for the big overall Big Bang solution or the program or the the diet plan or all of that stuff, all those big plans, most people can't follow them. And if they do follow them when they're done, then they bust out and go the other way. That's why a lot of diets fail, because we follow rules six months or a year, and then we bust out. You know, we go the other direction.
0: And, of course they don't always work for everybody or at every time.
1: Right. Right. And they work less and less over time. You know, as we get older, you know, the body becomes less and less willing to go through deprivation to achieve something when it's asking for safety. You know, if it's putting on weight because it's asking you for safety and you're giving it deprivation and boredom, it's not a very good relationship. It's (laughs) not going to be pretty.
0: Right. It's going to find a way to rebel or to try and, whack you over the head with a two-by-four to wake you up.
1: Right, right. The body's very creative, as is Mother Earth. So, you know, it it can come up with viruses and things to stop us in our tracks. Because if we aren't in harmony with our ecology of life forms, with our nature, it starts to affect the wellness of the creatures within that nature, including human creatures. Mm Mm-hmm. We're being kind of guided to think better in bigger terms, and it's a a wonderful time to be talking about energy medicine and thinking about this very kind of baseline. Can you enter into energy dialogue with your own body, with your own mind, with your own spirit? Can you at least start the conversation and see where it takes you? Because if you're not even asking the questions, you're sure not going to get very good answers.
0: Right. That's the key. If you're not Uh taking this moment to ask a direct question about what's happening right now, then, Uh yeah, we miss it completely.
1: Right. And I suggest in the book that we use open-ended questions like give me insight into what's happening right now because we're such a right answer culture. We want to know exactly what the right answer is, what's happening now, and what we mean by it is what's wrong right now. And if you say give me insight into what's happening right now, you might be drawn to something that is the carrot rather than the stick that pulls you to yearning and towards reaching for something you really need. And that's very different from an analysis of what's wrong in this moment.
0: Right. It can orient us towards something creative as opposed to something that causes fear.
1: Right. Right. And how many people say, oh, I feel so tired and achy. I've got to get back to the gym. I've got to get on a program. An hour a day. I've got to work this body Instead of saying, whoa, I feel tired and achy, and then like a cat or dog, do a stretch in that moment. You know, just respond in that moment to what you notice rather than taking it to now I have to program my life around this observation.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot we can learn from close observation of our dogs or cats.
1: Absolutely. I just think they're wonderful teachers especially when dealing with wellness, health, and the earth elemental part of our being, that, you know, this body that that does get really unlovely illnesses if we don't really include her in the dialogue.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's one of the things that I feel like I've gained the most from reading your book is engaging so much more in this moment-by-moment dialogue with my precious body.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad. That's what I wanted you to get. And you did a good job. I mean, that's it. It's it's so simple. You know, if you're not engaging with your body, where are you?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where are you? If you're not here, <laughs> so, where are you?
1: Yeah. And so I'm sure a lot of your listeners are very spiritual. I'm very spiritual. So much spiritual work is done around or despite the body or outside the body or without the body rather than through the body. And, you know, that's fine if that's how you want to do your spiritual practice, but the body doesn't get the memo. And, I mean, I've, I've known some people who were very enlightened on the spiritual level, who were, you know, lifelong meditators, but they also had amazing back pain and back problems. I mean, they basically tanked their spine from years and years and years in sitting and not enough recognition of what the spine needed physiologically, in order to stay healthy. And, you know, that's sad, because they're very awakened beings, but their tradition said the body is irrelevant. I just think that's not true. I think it's a committee of three, and the body is the instrument through which this music gets played in this dimension. And if we're not going to stay in this dimension, fine, but if we're going to stay, then love it up. I mean, you know, it's like someone hands you a dog, a cat, or a baby, love it up, because that's yours to care for and to be part of, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the sixth and final healing conversation and what that is about.
1: Okay. So the sixth conversation I call bringing in radiance. And I referred to it a little earlier that we have these two big movements or aspects to our energy. We have the radiance, which is the spirit feed. And then we have the gatekeeping, which is the form. And so The sixth one is about how do you cultivate radiance? How do you cultivate more enlivening energy? Because radiance can transform us. And we all know that. You can be looking at a beautiful sunset and just feel all of the stress of the day fall away in the presence of such beauty and such a majestic view. And so how do we cultivate radiance in our lives So that we have what we need to dissolve the resistance and the darkness and the pain and also the spirit feeds that actually are part of the fuel meant to run the body. It's not just all food. When people, you know, they're sick and they go on these really complicated nutritional diets. But when you sit down to eat a meal, what are you eating? Are you eating stress? Are you eating perfectionism? Are you eating anxiety about whether you've got all the right elements there? Are you eating sort of self-righteousness that you've now got the perfect diet? Or are you eating reverence that this food was provided to you at all from Mother Earth? And, you know, if they don't answer that they're eating reverence, that's what's missing from their diet. You could say, what am I eating this moment? What am I taking in from this moment? Am I taking in these political tropes that are so ugly and yucky right now? I mean, we've got some pretty yucky, ugly politics happening, and they can be really poisonous. And it's not that you ignore them, but can we take in the good news? You know, we got lots of bad news. Can we start to pick out evidence of the human spirit triumphing, evidence of the kindness, evidence of the web of connection that is holding true despite all the negative storylines that threaten to pull us apart? How can we celebrate togetherness, even in small ways, when the bigger storyline feels hopeless. And the way you fight hopelessness is by cultivating hope. And the way you fight despair, well, of course, despair is the French word for loss of hope, right? So it comes back to that, that, you know, that's the first element that comes in. It's water element in Chinese medicine is associated with hope or fear. So if we're caught in fear, how do you dispel fear? Not by focusing more on the fear, you acknowledge it, but you bring in hope. You bring in its counterpart to counterbalance the fear.
0: And kind of the same thing with this pandemic. How can we respond to it in a, a creative and constructive way, knowing that at some point we're going to emerge from this with an opportunity to create meaningful change? And how right. how are we going to do that? Are we going to do that from a place of creative empowerment, and self-empowerment, or are we going to do it from a place of fear?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so I say to all my clients, you know, if you don't literally have the virus right now, then this pandemic is about taking an enforced rest to gestate your being as opposed to your doing. You can't be out there do-do-doing as easily. So how do you gestate yin? How do you gestate that sacred... Feminine part of all of us, whether we're male or female, how do we cultivate that inner realm, the inner awareness, the relationship to our bodies when our bodies aren't exhausted from going from activity to activity, activity? Most of us are getting some pretty deep rest in this time, not everyone. So if you're totally restless, then how do you cultivate productive rest? And if you do have the virus, again, it's dialoguing with supporting your gatekeeper. did put a free class on YouTube. It's an eight video class on how to work with your energies to support, to enhance your immunity in this time of pandemic. But it works even if you're not dealing with a pandemic. It addresses kind of these six areas and maybe a little more with some exercises, some of which are in the book. And so I put that out there as a free resource in this time. Even sort of playing with those is a way to get started on entering into different conversations with yourself besides or apart from the fear or things falling apart. And, and then sometimes it's good to frame something with a new storyline. So for me, I think it's healthy when things fall apart so they can reformulate. You know, if you want to grow a community garden, maybe the cement of the parking lot has to be chipped away first. And so that's what I see happening culturally is that some of these places where we've paved paradise and put up a parking lot, as Joni Mitchell wrote, maybe those parking lots have to be torn down so that we can get back to the paradise of things growing and thriving in our shared
0: world. Mm-hmm. So how can people find those videos that you just mentioned?
1: Okay, so my YouTube channel is called Energy Medicine with Ellen Meredith. And you can also find them through my website, which is www.ellenmeredith. And my last name is spelled M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H. So EllenMeredith.com. And there's links there as well.
0: Ellen Meredith is an energy healer and medical intuitive and the author of this wonderful new book, The Language the Body Speaks, Self-Healing with Energy Medicine. Ellen, thank you so much. I've enjoyed this conversation so much and I've gained so much from this book.
1: Oh, Tony, thank you so much. I really appreciate your taking the time with it and taking the time with me today. And I also appreciate the service of this radio broadcast that you're doing, because you're putting good energy out into the world. You're, you're contributing more wonderful, positive threads to the shared weave. And it's a wonderful contribution. So thank you.
0: Hmm. Well, it's my pleasure to do this. And again, thank you so much and be well.
1: Okay, you too, and everybody out there, stay well and cultivate wellness.
0: And that's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other.